All right. Welcome, everyone. I'm so glad to preach the word to you this morning. I'm excited to share this word. Uh, this morning, I'm, I'm doing what I call a pastoral talk. Uh, usually, you know, we preach through a book of the Bible, and we're going to start doing that next week. But today is just a pastoral talk. So it's just kind of my opportunity to say a bunch of things that I want to say. And especially at the start of the year to kind of set the trajectory for us as a church in the right direction. Because there's a lot of things that will vie for our, our time and our energy this year. So we, we want to take this, this opportunity this morning to set you in a good direction in terms of how you live and how we are a church together. So as I said, we're going to do a series. I love preaching through books of the Bible. I think it's, uh, it's just my favorite thing to do. And so we are going to go through the book of 2 Corinthians. Now you might think, what about 1 Corinthians? Well, I think I've already done that twice through the years. And so I've never done a whole series on 2 Corinthians, which is strange because I really love this particular book. There's so many incredible themes, especially some of my favorite chapters are like chapter 2, 3, 4, and 5. And there's just so much rich theological content in that. And so we'll begin that next week. And I want to, as part of my pastoral talk this morning, I want to take a moment to kind of instruct you on how to get the most out of a preaching series. And even what Nicole just said, I thought was really fitting. You, you want to be the, the kind of person who's like ready to receive the word on Sundays. But here's some practical ways that, that you can do that. So I'm going to take my time uh, through this series. I'm not sure how long it'll take. It'll be several months, probably right into the summertime. And I'll usually, um, most weeks, just take one portion of Scripture. So not a whole chapter, but just one portion of a chapter at a time. And so, for example, next week we'll just look at seven verses. Uh, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. And so my approach is usually to, to try to go deep rather than wide, uh, not give you too much content. We really want to understand what each portion says. We don't want to skim over anything that's difficult, really want to understand it all. And so here are some, just some things, practical ways that you can prepare better to hear the word. So again, next Sunday, I'll be preaching, God willing, on 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. And so what can you do? What can you do to prepare for that? Well, here's just a, here's just a few things. We're just talking about seven verses. You can read those verses daily. And there's different ways to do that. Maybe you can put it on your phone. You can make it the screensaver on your phone. Uh, I spend a lot of time at my desk in my home office. And so I have, it's actually made for cookbooks, but it's a, a little thing to prop up my Bible at an angle right next to me. And whatever I'm preaching on, usually that's just the default. That just sits open. 
So if I'm just kind of uh, pausing or daydreaming, I'll just look over and, and read the verses that I'm going to be preaching on. So read those seven verses at least once every day, maybe several times a day. Try some various translations of the Bible. Read it in maybe a paraphrase like the message version. Another good discipline is to write out the verses. And you could write it exactly. Maybe you use the ESV uh, version of the Bible. Just write it just as it is in the ESV. Just write you know, on a piece of paper, in, a, in your journal, or in a notebook. There's something really powerful about that. When you read, I don't know, most of us read. We read so much, right? Because we're reading stuff on our phone all the time, reading all bits and pieces, skimming things. And so then we come to the Word of God, and sometimes we kind of do the same thing. We're like, rush, or just read it. Read it quick. Read those seven verses and get it done. You know, check it off. But there's something powerful about slowing down when you read. And so writing what you read, writing those seven verses will discipline you to really, really slow down. Expound on the verses is another thing that you can do. Now in preaching, I've always held these two questions in mind when I'm approaching a portion of scripture. The two questions I ask is, uh, what is the author trying to say? Now, the author might be the Apostle Paul, but also the author really is the Holy Spirit, right? What is the message here? What is the author trying to communicate in these verses? But then secondly, to ask the question, why does this matter? In other words, what kind of impact on my life could this, could this verse have or these verses have? So to do that, you can just think in your mind about what you're reading, and maybe you're able to kind of do that. And But I think it's a good discipline to write. So even if you write out, maybe if you write out the verses, the seven verses, leave lots of room in the margins on the left and the right. So you can just add, put little arrows and circle a word and maybe a little insider. But what does it mean? Just think about it. It's not enough to just read the Bible. We need to actually think about what we're reading. We have to meditate would be the, the biblical word. Meditate is to take something and just churn it over and over and over in our minds. There's other things you can do like word studies. You can examine cross-references. You can see what commentaries have to say about these seven verses um, and you might own commentaries. You might have a Bible study that gives a little bit of a commentary usually on some of the things that might be unclear. But you can also just, um, and I know there's a lot of weird stuff out there, so you got to kind of be careful, but you could just Google uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, commentary, and all kinds of things will come up. And you kind of have to use some some stuff is, isn't great or it's like too much detail, but I think you'll, you'll start to get a, a sense of, oh, this one seems really good or this one is clear. And, you know, you could go really deep with this stuff, but um, just try that. It'll give some insight into the verse. I like to think about the verses before I head to the commentaries. 
because uh, I don't want to be swayed too much by what the commentaries are saying. I, I still I want to first kind of uh, work it through with the Holy Spirit and just in my own thinking and then go to the commentaries. And maybe sometimes it's confirmed or maybe sometimes I'm not seeing in the commentaries things that I'm seeing. And so that, that can be exciting because you want to get something fresh out of the scriptures. Another thing you can do is listen to an online teaching. So maybe some of you have a commute in the morning or you have dishes to wash you know, every single day or whatever, um, mundane tasks, and you put on some kind of teaching. Again, you can just do uh, 1 Corinthians, or, I'm, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, sermon or teaching or audio teaching. If you Google that, all kinds of different things will come up. And if you if you really can't find anything good, reach out to me. Send me a text because I'm probably, you know, finding some good things, and I can even forward you some of the the things that I have found. Maybe some good good teachings. But there's so much out there for us. Another thing you can do is to talk to one another about the verses. Uh, maybe midweek, you say, hey, have you uh, looked at those verses yet? Or, or maybe it's just you, you tap into an older, an older saint in, in the community. Maybe, maybe uh, John and Ruth Reynolds, you know, and they say, hey, what is this, this sentence here in, in these verses? What, is, what, what do you think this means? And so this is a great way to understand the Bible is to talk to one another and get wisdom, that collective wisdom uh, that that comes when we, you know, kind of tap into each other in that way. And of course, talk to God throughout the week about how to apply this. Now, what I'm saying here, this is kind of intense. Like, I think for some of you, if I didn't say any of this, you probably would, would not even, even if I announced it, you wouldn't, you wouldn't even read one time 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 to 7, like between now and next Sunday. You're just like, well, Pastor Scott's gone. We'll see what he's got to say next Sunday. Listen, don't do that. Like, do, you do the work, okay? Like, do the work so much so that you could almost be called on if I said, you know what? My throat's a little scratchy this morning. <clears throat> Who should I pick? You know, that I could pick like any, any one of you and you could probably do some kind of decent job. Like, well, these are some of the things that, that I learned this week or that I was kind of feeling as I was reading these verses. Um, and I know some of you aren't, you know, public communicators and some would die if I ever asked you to do that. But, and I'm not saying everybody should be able to do that, but I'm saying everybody can study the word of God. This isn't some mysterious thing that only people who are, you know, seminary trained or have lots of experience can do this. Like all of us should be able to study the word of God. In fact, the resources are so abundant, so accessible to us uh, that really none of us are, you know, none of us have an excuse for, for not being able to study the word. But I'm telling you, you will get so much more out of the preached word when I preach one week from now on those seven verses if you have been thinking about and studying these verses all week long. Um, hopefully you don't study them so well that you're like, I don't even need to go to, 
to Ren because I already know what these verses mean. What could Scott possibly bring? I mean, maybe, I don't know. If that's really the case, God bless you. Um, that's actually probably a good thing. But we still, um, we still do believe that God sets, it's not just me, there's other teachers in this community, but he sets uh, certain people to preach. Vicky did a great job last week preaching the word, but he puts uh, somebody in our midst to teach us. And it's not just to regurgitate some of the things that we learn from the commentaries or the encyclopedias and things like that, but it's to get a fresh word for the community. Like, this is what I feel like these verses mean. And this is the uh, this is why I think it matters for us as a people, as a church. And so there is a place, Ephesians chapter 4, for pastors and teachers to do their thing, which is what I'm doing right now. But the goal of studying scripture like this, this kind of deeper approach, is to understand it and to live it out. What happens when you go really deep with one portion of scripture? And by the way, just hearing a sermon, a 40-minute sermon, that's not enough. But when you really go deep and you study it and think it through and apply it to your life and you're meditating on it day and night, even if you do it for a week, some portions we might even take a, for a whole month. And I know we don't tend to think like this because we're all about quantity. That's, we're very American. Oh, man, I read uh, 80 chapters this week. You know, we, we, we love to just read a lot of different things. We're reading like four books at a time, and we're just reading, reading through uh, huge portions of the Bible to, you know, read through the Bible in a year. Listen, there's something that happens when you go really deep with a small portion. It imp- almost embeds into your heart. It imprints into your heart. You develop a relationship with that portion of scripture. I mean, I can tell you, I can tell you portions of scripture that I have a relationship with because I went deep with that portion 33 years ago you know, maybe for like two or three weeks, God was really speaking to me through those verses. And I, it's still in me. It's almost like a deposit. So I challenge you to approach the scriptures that way. And you might, I'm just saying, I think it would be a good practice. I mean, you might be moved in a different direction to study some other portion of scripture, you know, that God is putting in your heart. But listen, we're a church. We're a community. Uh, We're going to go through this book together. I think there's a certain wisdom in just taking the verses that we're going to be studying. I'll try to announce them each week. So like next week, I'll tell you, oh, the next, you know, we're going to be looking at uh, verses 8 to... I don't know what it is, eight to eight to fifteen or something like that. And we're gonna look at those verses. So you'll kind of know where we're going. And again, you can always reach out to me. Um, for those that know me, I'm a I'm an email person. I'll almost email within the hour uh, back to you sometimes. If you text me, I'm probably gonna text you right back, unless I'm really caught up in something. But I'm I get lots of emails and I don't mind if you wanna reach out to me. And ask me even what something means in the scriptures or what kinds of uh, sermons I'm listening to or 
uh, resources that I'm tapping into, just reach out to me. I, I'm glad to uh, I'm glad to receive emails and, and texts. You're not bothering me. All right, so that's a little, just one thing I just wanted to say to you uh, before we get into this uh, series that we begin next next Sunday. So, like I said today, I just want to kind of talk to you about trajectory, kind of set you into the right uh, direction as we're in this new year, 2024. There are just so many things that can pull us away from God's best. They can pull our time and our energy and our money even as we head into the year. And we don't want to just be carried away by every impulse. So we have to be right from the beginning of the year. We have to be intentional. We must know exactly what we want. You know, what is most important? And that's what I want to answer today. What are the supreme aims to keep before us as we head into the new year? Ephesians uh, says this little verse, be careful how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, I know each of us will have some different goals. Hopefully, we're all setting goals. And I know not everybody loves resolutions, but I think it's, we should have goals in life. We should have goals for the year. I mean, if we aim at nothing, we're probably going to hit nothing. It's good to know what do you want to do? Like, what do you want to accomplish this year? You know, one of you might have a goal to uh, spend more time with your kids. That's a wonderful goal. Or to call your mom more frequently, or to practice a musical instrument, or go to the gym, get more healthy, eat more healthy. Maybe one of you has a goal to slow down, or to be a better listener. Those are good goals. To stay on top of your emails. Who has that goal? That's good. Hopefully my wife, who has like 17,000 emails in her inbox. But somehow she just still is organized about it. Um, but you know, many of us have different, different kinds of, kinds of goals, individual goals we could call them. But what I want to talk to you today about is the aims that we should all have as followers of Jesus. Uh, what are the most important things to give ourselves to in 2024? So there are a lot of different, you could call them assessment grids that are helpful, you know, to, apply to church life and, you know, what do we want to do as a church? There's, there's a lot of different ones. But I always kind of go back to this simple grid <clears throat> that could be called the three aims grid or the three great aims grid. Love God, love one another, and love your neighbor. These are the three great things that we should be doing as followers of Jesus and especially as a church. Really, Everything we do as a church could be funneled through these three great things. And I want to take some time to consider what each of these means. Um, again, we must be intentional about doing these. And I would say this, we must fight to seek first the kingdom of God. It doesn't have, these three things do not just naturally happen. Why? Because we are sinful. Every single one of us, we have a sinful nature. We have a propensity 
to wander away from God, to drift, to not do these things. These kinds of things don't always feel exciting. We're not always inspired to do these things. You know, if we do only what comes naturally to us, that's a dangerous way to live. We will most certainly drift away from spiritual things little by little. All right, so let's look at these three things. First one is love God. If you've been a Christian for a while, you've probably heard that Jesus said that loving God with heart, mind, soul, and strength is the greatest commandment, right? And most Christians are, are quick to acknowledge this. But what are we actually talking about when we say that our supreme aim is to love God? Actually, someone in the prayer time this morning was praying, God, help me to love you more this year. It was a beautiful prayer. The aim is to love God more this year than any other year of our lives. That's a good goal, right? To love God is to obey God. Jesus taught us that, right? So may we know what the commands of God are in Scripture, and may we be careful to do them. Loving God is a choice, but it's also a heart affection. Where does that affection come from? Where does that love for God come from? Well, it flows from our understanding of God's love for us. It comes from receiving his love into our own hearts more and more. So if we want to love God, we absolutely need to spend quality time gazing upon the Lord. This means simple things like prayer, worship, which we, we just did. We spent a block of time just calling on God and, and, and looking to God, worshiping God together, reading scripture. These kinds of things produce something within us. They stir our hearts. It means practicing the Sabbath, taking at least a day a week to unplug and really slow down, be still and know that he is God. It could mean fasting from food to deepen our longing for spiritual things. It means being serious about contemplation, setting our minds on things above. To love God is to pursue God. It is to devote ourselves to drawing near to God. Putting ourselves like we've done this morning, putting ourselves in environments where God is being manifested. Um, most of us will probably be involved this year in about, maybe more, maybe less, but 50 corporate worship gatherings like this. Uh, that's a lot. But it's very easy to just go through the motions and get nothing out of it. So part of how we can love God more this year is that we would give our best effort every time we come together like this to really open our hearts to God. I don't mean like your best effort to sing really loud or to, I mean, that could be part of it, but it's the effort isn't just being here. 
you know, standing up, sit down, sing the songs, do the things, you know, connect with some people. All that is, is good and part of it. But the, the effort on our part every week is to open up our hearts and have some real moments. Like, let God search us. That's a huge part of what it means to love God. Again, none of these things comes naturally. I mean, we'll have moments of inspiration, but most days you'll find that your heart and your mind, your body is kind of being pulled away from these things, right? I mean, other things will appear more important, more urgent, more desirable. You'll find the desire for other things is often greater than your desire for eternal things. Is that resonating with anybody in here? It just is the truth. It's the sad truth. Again, why is this? Because we are people of the earth. Because we have this flesh, this carnal nature within us that constantly pulls, because there's a spiritual warfare happening. Because everything in this present world system is moving in one direction. And we're actually trying to move in the opposite direction. There are lots of forces pulling us away from these things. So that's why it's dangerous just to live by feelings. David often said in the Psalms, these two words, I will. You know, Psalm 103, I will bless the Lord. There's a certain choice about it, to dig into scripture, to pray, to choose to fast, to choose to give this block of time to wait upon the Lord. That's why, again, it's, it's good to plan. And I know some like love to just go with the flow and be spontaneous about everything. And some of you are like uh, hyper planners about, you know, every, every little minute of your life. And it's, I mean, but th- I think all of us need to you need to have some kind of plan before you head into a week. Like, when am I going to spend time with God? When am I going to get into the scriptures? You know, when you plan your time, and again, you don't need to plan every minute, but when you, you kind of lay out your week, you can look at it and say, does that reflect a person who is seeking first the kingdom of God? You can just look at it straight up and say, no. Like, when am I even spending time with God's people? When am I even doing anything for mission? When am I, when am I even spending time with God? I, there's no time in, this, in these next seven days to study the word. That's not good. So you change it and you get creative and you carve into your schedules the, the things that are most important. You have to fight to put God's kingdom first in your life. If you don't fight for it, you just, it won't be first. It'll be second, third, it'll be eighth, it'll be 17th at the end of the week. Have you ever done this with your money? Track your spending? You know, we think, oh man, I'm the best steward of my finances ever. I mean, I put my finances first, you know, in the kingdom of God. Yeah, track your spending and then look at it after. Look at the, how did I spend my money in the last 30 days? Well, you could do something similar with how you spend your time. 
We need to be aware. We can be really self-deceived. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I love God first. I'm putting him, I mean, that's my time and energy is like God first. You know, we can say it. It's so easy to say it, right? It's as if words are cheap. But it's like, what are we actually doing with our time and our energy? Let's get honest. Are we really putting God first? I'm saying, in order to do that, it is a fight, So get ready for the fight. I'm ready for it. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that you just need to, uh, you know, buck up, uh, you know, pull, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, you know, just kind of exercise willpower to do these things. We really need God's grace to be able to seek first the kingdom of God. To love God with heart, mind, soul, and strength. We actually need God's strength to do that. We need his help. We need his love to be in us. Uh, the, probably the greatest principle in scripture is to abide in Christ. And so we're not so like, oh, I'm going to go out there and love God with all my heart. Like, you know, get me fired up and all inspired and that'll last about a day. You have to be prepared to fight to stay close to God, to abide in him. We need to operate in his power, in his life. And how do you do that? It's just by clinging from morning till night. It's what Oswald Chambers, the devotional writer, called unbroken fellowship. It's this just constant staying connected to God, constantly inclining your heart toward God from morning to night. I'm all about, yeah, take an hour, uh, a day or whatever length of time it is to spend that deep quality time with God, maybe in the scriptures and praying. That's, aw- that's an awesome thing to do, but you can't just do it for an hour. It's, it should, it ne- really needs to be from morning till night. I'm not saying you, you have to work, you have to do other things. You, I'm not saying to uh, close your eyes while you're driving so you can pray. You know, I, I, I get, I'm not saying that, but there should be this constant moment by moment connection. Try it tomorrow and watch how much your heart is far from God and drifts from God. It is incredible. Like how all of a sudden an hour and a half go with two hours and I realize, wow, I haven't even like thought about God in two hours. Like that's not good. We have to work at this, cultivate it. Keep calling on God. Those little prayers, I call them tiny prayers, like string together those tiny prayers. Those little, Lord, I need you. Lord, come, strengthen me. Touch this person. Lord, I'm going into this meeting. Lord, I have a three-minute bathroom break. Just, you know, just fill me with your spirit. Just, Lord, just give me, give me a word right now that, that'll kind of take me through the rest of the day. String through your entire day from morning till night. Tiny prayers, little prayers, little expressions. Stay connected to God and you will see how the life of God will begin to flow. All right, well, there's so much more I could say about loving God. It could be a whole series, but I'm gonna get to this, these uh, second two. Love one another. The second supreme aim I want to encourage us in is this simple command to love one another. Uh, Jesus commanded it to his disciples, even as I have loved you, love one another. The scriptures are filled with over 50 different one another verses, like serve one another, pray for one another, forgive one another, be kind to one another, be compassionate uh, to one another, show hospitality to one another. 
encourage, admonish one another, bear with one another in love, and so on. So what we are really talking about when we talk about these one another verses is extraordinary devotion to the local church that God has called you to be a part of. Now it is true also that husbands should love their wives and wives should love their husbands and children should love their parents and parents should do a good job loving their children and we should love our uh, aunts and uncles and extended family and all of it. All of that is true. But when Jesus said love one another, he was specifically referring to relationships within the church. It's more than just attending a gathering once a week, right? There, there's a, God wants us to be, his design is to, for us to be a family. We're called to support one another. To, as Romans 12 says, to, you know, we should rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. We should be feeling things that are happening within the community. That takes a certain awareness, right? That takes spending time and having conversations with people in the community. God has given each of us spiritual gifts, and those gifts are to be used to encourage and build up the, the body of Christ. Now, it probably is um, obvious to us, but this kind of design that God has for his local church, it, it requires sacrifice, doesn't it? It requires being deliberate, making choices to be present at church gatherings, to open our homes, to open our lives. I've watched a lot of people through the years. We started this church in 2003, and just watched a lot of people kind of come and, you know, maybe, you know, sort, sort of are here, but they're only like half here and uh, maybe kind of on the fringes uh, of the community. And it doesn't really work that way. You really kind of have to get in. You kind of have to go deep and, and really kind of make those relationships. God does not want our relationships to be shallow or superficial. He wants us to have deep, open, trusting relationships with one another as we do life together. Now, there are two essential ways that this call to love one another is played out in the life of church. One is big gatherings like this. This isn't big, but, you know, it's kind of when we're all together and usually somebody is teaching the word of God and, you know, we sing some songs all together. This is a big part of what we do. And I know sometimes we like to pit big gathering versus small. I've done it. Um, but I think one thing we learned from our experiments from last year doing the hybrid model, I think one thing we learned is that both are really important, that we gather big and we also gather small. Now, by big gathering, I simply mean our gatherings all together. Sunday morning gatherings, community meals, our special worship nights, maybe a retreat, a core gathering. They aren't really that big, but the reality is, that it's really hard to go deep with 100 people or 200 people. So what's the value of the larger gatherings? I'll give it to you right now. There are certain things that happen at the all-church gatherings that 
just don't happen in the same way in smaller gatherings. There is a strong, clear preaching from someone, hopefully, who is uniquely gifted to communicate and maybe is especially trained to preach the word of God and has some experience in preaching the word of God. In my case, I've been doing this for 33, I think I preached my first sermon 33 years ago. It was probably terrible, but you know, so I've, I've done a lot of this through the years. So there's something about allowing trained and gifted God-appointed teachers to kind of do their thing. We receive from that. It does something for us. And another thing that happens in the all-church gatherings, usually through the worship time, is that God manifests his glory. I'm not sure why this doesn't happen as frequently in the smaller gatherings, but it seems that God loves when we assemble all together. He moves. I mean, the early church experiences, right? In the book of Acts, they would all assemble together. They would all come together, all be together in one accord, in one place, and, and, and God would move. The place would, would shake at times, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. God would sort of manifest his greatness, in their midst. And we've seen that through the years. There's just something special that happens when we're all together in one place, in one accord. In the Old Testament, remember when everything came into alignment, Solomon is there in the temple. It says the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests were unable to even do their duties because God's glory was so heavy, so thick. So there is something special about all coming together. So I'd say practically, when we gather together this year, let's do it well. Let's be prepared. Let's be praying throughout the week. Whatever role we're playing in the gathering, let's do it well. And let's make gathering together a priority. Sadly, it's become kind of a trend, at least in America. I don't think in other countries, maybe some other countries, but... Here, I've seen my lifetime that there's just become a trend of like, yeah, it's not really, we don't need to go. We'll just listen online or we'll just, we'll skip this week, skip next week. Let's travel. Let's do this. Let's do that. Now it's like the typical uh, churchgoers coming, you know, once or twice a month. Like that's actually not good. You know, it's hard to build traction. It's hard to, we're, we're really missing out. If, if we have that kind of mentality. Now, sometimes we're sick. Sometimes we, we are traveling or visiting family and that, that's okay. But I'm, I'm putting it forth here that if we want to see a manifestation, a regular manifestation of the glory of God in our midst, there has to be this priority in us to be together. It doesn't happen when we're scattered all over the place. I'm preaching to the choir because you guys are here, so you can feel good about that. You're like, oh, I'm so glad I came this morning. <laughs> now, the all-together gatherings can be really powerful, but if all we do is participate in larger gatherings, we're going to miss out. In fact, I think we'll miss out on more than half of what God intends for his church. There are things that happen in small expressions of church life 
that just don't happen in the big gathering, specifically life sharing. Now, a little bit of this could happen, but I'm saying the smaller gatherings, it just happens better. The use of our particular giftings, uh, real discipleship, these kinds of things happen best in the context of smaller get-togethers or small groups. Let me be more specific by, you know, what I mean by small things. I don't just mean like that you get together with uh, four or five Christians, that that's going to do anything magical. I'm actually talking about meeting regularly with the same people over and over. There's something about consistently meeting with the same handful of people that deepens trust and enables real life sharing and discipleship to happen. The truth is that we need people in our lives that we can open up to. And maybe you can just ask yourself that question. Do do I have brothers in Christ, sisters in Christ that I can really open up my heart to? And if you don't, you don't have to feel ashamed of that, but just make that a goal in this year. I need some small circles to really open up to. People who will genuinely listen and care. People who can speak truth to us. One thing I think that was successful about the small communities last year was that deep relationships were formed. I mean, there were some other problems with the small communities and logistics, and there was a lot of things. It was a, a bit of a burden for people to kind of run this tiny church on their own without the pastor there and different things like that. So, you know, it wasn't the perfect uh, idea. But one thing that was positive was relationships went deep. In fact, I think relationships between adults and children happened greater last year than any other year that I've seen since we started the church. Uh, so we, that's a huge win. We want to keep finding ways to integrate kids into the, into the church. Now, we aren't doing the hybrid model that we did last year in the same way as this year for a variety of reasons. You know, the council and the core have like hacked that out in the fall and talked all that through. But we must find fresh ways to continue to practice small church expressions. So here's my challenge. Do at least one regular small thing this year. At least one. Instead of trying to, uh, you know, kind of funnel everyone into some sort of new model or system that we've come up with, um, we're going to give our energy as leaders to just sort of encouraging you guys to find or create your own small community experiences. And so these could be things like, and some of these things are already kind of happening, but it could be a book club, it could be a prayer gathering. It could be three or four women meeting for coffee. It could be Lectio Divina, which is happening. And my wife hosts that with Josie. And some of the women come together and study the word in that way. It could be an alpha course. Weekly basketball time and some life sharing. Pebbles and stones. A mission team. A serve team. A micro church, something could happen on a Sunday morning that is a church service, maybe in somebody's home. I'm wide open to that. If some of you really want to do that, I am fully supportive of that. 
maybe a group of musicians that come together and exchange ideas and, and maybe pray for each other, an artist group, a mom's and kids a play group, maybe a couple's dinner party that happens on a regular basis, maybe a couple times a month, young adults, uh, gatherings, a Bible study. I could keep going. These are just ideas. These could be in a house or at a church, a building, cafe, wherever. They could be weekly or a couple times a month. They could be any time, day or night. And you know, maybe some of you want to meet, uh, I'm not going to be there, but maybe some of you want to do something really early in the morning before work, like 5 to 6 a.m., like you know, men's accountability prayer time or something like that. Uh, I'll be thinking of you as I'm sleeping. But go for it. <laughs> uh, but sometimes, you know, that, that has really worked uh, for people. So we really want to give the freedom to, you know, we're going to help and come alongside this process. But some of you already have ideas, even if, as I say that, oh, I want to do this and this. And you already, you already want to lead something. And you already want to start something. Um, and we just want to give that freedom and, and support you in that and kind of help the process along. So I think the thing we just want to, to see happen is that you meet with the same people regularly, that you find some way to talk about Christ and to help one another in your relationship with God. Real fellowship. So I give you that freedom. Go inform something. Connect with people you already feel a connection with. You know, this year we're not just going to stick you in a group with uh, eight other people who you maybe don't really connect with or have chemistry with and just and say, do it. Go deep and be accountable. Um, I mean, we can flow with it. All right, we can kind of get along with anyone. But we, I think these kind of smaller expressions work best when, when they're, they're kind of organic and, and when there's some real chemistry and maybe there's some, some trust that's already been built. So who are some of the people in this community? Now, if you're brand new, you, you, you don't know yet, but for some of you who've been around for a while, who are the people you already trust? Maybe those are some people you could, you could do something with. But make sure you're a part of at least one small thing this year. Well, there's more I could say about that. And I'm going to have to just take five minutes and my timing was a little off this morning, but I want to uh, just take five minutes and hit on this last, this last point of love your neighbor. We want to love God. We want to love one another well this year, but we also want to love our neighbor really well. And so this is the call of God to literally love our next door neighbors if we have neighbors, you know, to be helpful, to beware of needs, try to meet them to be friendly, to open our homes to people. But the call to love our neighbors can also be taken more widely to apply to all people in our circles. People who live in the town next to us or people who are, whatever, homeless, drug addicts, alcoholics. These are all neighbors, good people, bad people, rich and poor. Love your neighbor could really be defined as Love the people around you. Love everyone around you. So when we talk about loving the people around us, we aren't just talking about holding a nice feeling toward 
people in our hearts, but to do something about it. You know, tomorrow is MLK Day. Dr. King was a wonderful example of what loving your neighbor looks like. He didn't just have a nice feeling in his heart that blacks and whites should uh, get along with each other as brothers. He didn't just feel sad about injustice and shed a tear once in a while. He did something. He acted. He rallied people. He protested. He risked his life. He gave his life. There are all kinds of tangible ways to love the people around us in our neighborhoods and workplaces and schools and so on. You know, we love people by being present in their lives, helping in practical ways, being good listeners, blessing people financially, fasting for people, praying for people, opening our lives to them, sharing the gospel with them. The scriptures call us to go into all the world, right, and make disciples. This has to become, again, a priority. If, we don't, if we're not intentional about these things, this is the last thing that we'll do in 2024 because it's all about us. You know, it's all about our needs and our struggles and our ambitions and our work and our career and our families and our things. Like We, just, we got enough to deal with, and it's so easy just for the very scraps to go to this last great aim, which is to really pour our lives out for people who are outside the faith. So what does this look like for 2024? One aspect of the paradigm shift was shaped during the pandemic of 2020. And, you know, we shifted away from focusing solely on maybe the one square mile around the location of the church building which we did for a year, 20 years or whatever, always trying to get everybody, even though everybody lives all over the place, trying to get everybody to come and reach people right in this particular location. And, you know, we all did that to an extent and come out like twice, three times, four times a year, be at a block party and do a few things. But I think we kind of shifted during the pandemic to realizing, well, you know, God has placed us wherever we live. And some of you do live in this neighborhood. Some live in the West End, the East Side. Some live in East Providence. Some live in Cranston, Warwick. I live in Warwick. You know, there's people who live in Woonsock and in Fall River, and uh, East Bay and Barrington, different. We're all over the place. And we have people that we work with maybe 40 hours a week. We have neighborhoods that God has placed us in. So we've kind of shifted our philosophy more to let's be missional in the exact place where God has planted us. And so that's what we're paying more attention to, being kind of missional, incarnational, right where God has put us. Um, so my encouragement to you as you start the year is to this is a very specific thing, but to define what your primary mission field will be. Who are your people? What is your field of mission? Who are you praying for? Who are you trying to reach? Now, we, we can have multiple mission fields. You know, we're trying to reach out. We're trying to be nice to everybody. You know, the, the, the whole planet. We're, we're trying to reach the whole planet. But... It's good to have a specific field of mission. What is your primary mission field? Have an answer for that question. Pick a field. 
That's where it starts. And it might be your coworkers because you're spending 40, 50 hours a week with them. That's your field. That's your mission. Maybe your actual neighbors. You're in like a little neighborhood, tons of little houses, and everybody interacts with them. Maybe that's your field. You're there, you're home a lot. Maybe moms in your homeschool community or people you play sports with, classmates at school, your extended family, families of the kids you coach. I know there's a couple in this church, Charlie and Heidi, who have taken on the field of mission of Afghan refugees who have been relocated to, to be right in this, this place. Widows in a particular local nursing home, maybe addicts, alcoholics, maybe a particular burden you have, your business colleagues. I could keep going, but my encouragement here is to pick a field, have a field of mission that you're focusing on this year. And hopefully you can even find some other people within the community that want to work together with you uh, to reach those people. So that's my challenge to you. Um, you know, Don't just randomly love people here and there. When you define who you are trying to reach, something kind of deep happens. You, know, you begin to study the people you're trying to reach. Your love increases for them over time. The Lord gives you strategies and you build relationship amongst the people. I can't tell you exactly how to bring God's love to the people that you have a heart for or that you feel God is calling you to reach, but I can give you just a few principles and some of you have heard these before. It starts with prayer. Just pray, pray, just start praying for the people. Do prayer drives. You know, just pray specifically for the people you're trying to reach until you get God's heart for them. And God will begin to sort of download strategies to you. And then be with them. Be with them. Now, if you, if you, if you work with them, you're already doing this. But if you're not working with them, you just have this kind of burden for this particular people group, you've got to find ways to just be around them, spend time with them, and listen, ask questions, just listen, be in their presence. The more you listen, the more you'll understand how to reach them. When you're with people in your field, you kind of love and serve everyone, right? But the goal is to find and disciple the ripe ones. Don't try to disciple people who are unteachable or who aren't ready. Uh, kind of don't, don't waste your time doing that. And it just annoys people too. Be selective. Find the ones who are receptive. And when you find someone open to the message, wow, don't miss that opportunity. Like be ready to invest in them. Open your heart, open your life to them. Be available to them. Kind of bring them to birth. Labor with them until they are born of the Spirit. When they're newborn infants, right, new Christians, there's a metaphor in Scripture, right? What do newborns need? They need a lot, don't they? They need to be fed. They need to be held. They need to be carried. They need to be kind of nurtured. And you don't just have a baby and, well, they'll be fine. They need to learn how to be independent anyways, you know, and go do your thing. Like, no, they need so much attention and love. And then eventually they can walk on their own, right, and do things more and more. Well, it's the same thing spiritually, if God entrusts you with leading somebody to Christ, 
You got to be ready to take them under your wing and to walk with them for a while, carry them for a while until they can walk on their own. Raise them. Here's my notes. You are their mother. You are their father. So my challenge to you this year is have a field. Know who you are trying to reach. Give yourself fully to your people. Ask God to give you one person who is ripe, who will be plucked out of darkness and brought into the light. I mean, imagine if every single one of us led just one single person and discipled one single person this year. That would be pretty awesome, wouldn't it? Imagine doing 100 baptisms in the course of the year. That would be more than we've ever done. So those are my simple encouragements to you this year. Love God, love one another, and love your neighbor well. Let's pray. Father, this is not the uh, most revolutionary message. You know, this is really basic simple stuff, but we know as simple and clear as it is, it's difficult. So Lord, we are praying for the power of the Holy Spirit that we can do these things well. I pray for myself and every single one of us that we would bear more fruit in 2024 than we ever have in our entire lives. Lord, we pray that we would love you well, that we would be a body of believers that really goes deep, that we'd be a family and that we would pour our lives out for the lost. Lord, I can't think of anything I would rather spend myself on in this year than these three great aims. So Lord, they are daunting aims, but we are trusting that you are going to help us every step of the way. So grant us great grace to do the will of the Father in 2024. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for letting me talk a little longer today.